Hello and welcome to this bumper edition of Hong Kong Heritage, where a diverse group of guests this week share their memories of the Hong Kong handover 25 years ago. President Jiang Zemin and Premier Li Peng came to Hong Kong. Prince Charles was also here, and at midnight, he and the last governor, Chris Patton, and his family would sail away on the Royal Yacht Britannia. Meanwhile, the Patton dogs, whiskey and soda would have separate arrangements and travel to the Patton's holiday home in France. Later in the programme, I hear about a massive handover party held in Kowloon with 10,000 attending. There's also a former head of the observatory talking to me about that rain that just poured. I hear from performers that night, journalists, Royal Hong Kong Police, Margaret Thatcher's security detail and a former civil servant who was involved in helping to prepare Hong Kong's legislation for this huge change. But first, Richard Bamping has been the principal cellist of the Hong Kong Philharmonic Orchestra since 1993. Here he talks to me about playing Nimrod on a very wet but momentous evening. I was on stage, you know, at the um, Tamar. We were just praying that it wouldn't rain, but that was a hilarious joke because, of course, it's going to rain. It was the heaviest rain that we'd ever seen in our lives, I think. So did it rain on you or were you covered up by something? Yeah, we, we knew that it was going to rain and this, we knew that the stage design was such that the, the roof, it wasn't even as big as the stage, so it wouldn't protect us from the rain at all. So we actually, before the whole thing, we were quite well prepared. We went and we bought very cheap instruments from the Chinese music instrument shop and we had them sort of adjusted and, and tuned up so that it would sound pretty good. I think we were talking about $1,500 each for instruments, including all of the tuning up and everything. And so it, was, it wasn't a cheap exercise to do that for the whole, whole string section. So we bought a whole bunch of violins and the whole cello section was playing on these new instruments. I actually really liked my little Chinese cello that cost $1,500. <laughs> and unfortunately, it, it didn't survive. It was literally full of water. Even though there was somebody standing over me with an umbrella on stage, it filled up with water and the next day it was just in pieces. It was a good job that we did actually use these instruments instead of our good ones because it would have been a disaster. Yeah, because isn't your, isn't your cello from like something like the 1600s or something? That's right, yeah. I've got a very expensive Italian cello, yeah. Um, I, could, I just couldn't possibly use that but outdoors. Did, you know. With the rain, did it make... I mean, you, you know, you're trying to concentrate... I mean, that, that takes a lot of focus. Well, I mean, not even a concentration. I mean, you just have to keep the bow dry so that you can... Because, you know, the bow's got some rosin on it and no rosin, no sound. I mean, it just simply won't work if it gets wet at all. So that, that was the thing. You just have to keep the bow dry. So did you practice and, uh, in the shower beforehand just to see the effect? No. <laughs> but like I said, we have every cellist had a... Or every, every stand had a person there with an umbrella one of those handover umbrellas. Oh, surreal. And, uh, standing there, sort of sort of matching our bow speed with the umbrella just to try and keep it drying. And what were you playing? <clears throat> it was surreal. Well, the piece that I remember was Nimrod from the Enigma Variations by Edward Elgar. It was already an incredibly moving piece before we uh, had to play it for the handover. <laughs> but uh, of course now I can't play that without being transported back to that moment. And uh, it was quite a quite an emotional moment. So on the night, you're saying it was, it was, so describe to me, other than the rain, and you were saying it was quite emotional. Was that yeah, also yeah. due to the, to the audience, due to the, the, you know, the ceremony itself? Honestly, it was the ceremony. It, it was so incredibly well done. The, um, the, the soldiers 
and all of the people doing the military tattoo were just incredibly disciplined. I'd never seen anything like that before in my life, actually. So where you were playing on the stage at Tamar, yes. so yes. that was where all the events were taking place? It was. It was right by the sea, and just to my left was the Britannia, the Royal Yacht, and then just to my right was this naval frigate, and right in front of me was Prince Charles, and every time Prince Charles got up to speak, it just, the heavens opened. <laughs> I remember underneath, like, the people that were marching in the square doing the tattoo, some of the costumes were incredible. They were, like, very big headdresses and lots of feathers and things, and I remember that some of their uniforms were all stained by the, the dye from the feathers in, the, in their hats, you know, that it was running down onto the floor and you could see these colourful patterns in the, in the rain on the, on the floor. It was really, it was so surreal. <laughs> the whole thing was really mind-blowingly surreal. Richard Bamping there, long-time principal cellist at the Hong Kong Philharmonic Orchestra. Also at Tamar was Howard Lang. The former Royal Hong Kong police officer was working alongside a woman he'd met a few times before as he was assigned as a security detail for VIP Margaret Thatcher, the former Prime Minister of Britain. I was a policeman in Hong Kong from 1985 to 1997. I'm born and bred in Hong Kong, and my Chinese name is Leung Houyun. And one of my last jobs in the police was I was attached to the VIP protection unit. And I was assigned for the security of Lady Thatcher, and that was my last job in the Hong Kong police. Basically, my job was when she arrived in Hong Kong, her security was my responsibility until she leave. And I think she was in Hong Kong for, for that time, for the handover for about five days. And she stayed at the Mandarin. Uh, I was I take care of her overall security while she was in Hong Kong. And I know her reasonably well because before the handover, she came to Hong Kong several times and I had been assigned to her a couple of times before that. So did she used to chat to you a bit? Usual courtesy, but I mean, she's been, at that time, she'd been used to security from the early 80s when she was prime minister. So she knew how to deal with us quite comfortably. And just usual chit-chat, nothing serious, you know. What was she like? She was a very nice person, very nice person, yeah. Very pleasant to work for. So you uh, accompanied her to the handover ceremony? Yes. On the handover day, I think when she arrived, she visited government house a couple of times. But on the handover day, she actually didn't go to government house. I think we left the Mandarin directly to Tema, where the uh, farewell parade, the, uh, the beating the retreat by the British troop. And it was heavy rain, I remember. And then after that, she went straight to the convention center for the actual ceremony. I was hiding under the stage at the stage. You were doing? Security, right. I was, and then I was just sitting underneath the stage where they did all the ceremony. Oh, is that where you had to... <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't have a seat assigned. Yeah, so I just, you know, stay underneath the stage. Yeah, you know, when, when you see them doing all the flags and everything, I was underneath it. That's my claim, my claim to fame. I look at the photographs a bit differently. So, I mean, when you're doing security detail, because it's in the past, perhaps you can tell me, I mean, are you checking for bombs? Are you just making sure that you're associated next to her? How does it work? We just provide normal VIP protection, basically, so no harm can, can be done to her while she was in Hong Kong. It was my job. Howard Lang there. Former civil servant Elizabeth Bosser came to Hong Kong in 1972 and was actively involved in the years-long preparation for this change starting in the 1980s.
Like a, quite a few people, Anne-Marie, I was watching the flag-lowering ceremony at Tamar and enjoying the weather, as we all were. I didn't go on to the uh, dinner and major flag-lowering later on, which I was a bit miffed about. I'd done 25 years in, in the civil <laughs> service, but it was pretty difficult to get on the guest list at that time because I'd uh, already officially left the civil service and moved on to my post-civil service career. So 25 years you'd been in the civil service, how did you feel about the handover? Well, it, it had involved a, an enormous amount of work, as you can imagine. I was quite privileged to be in a couple of jobs where I was right in the front line, so to speak. I was in something called the general duties branch, which was a euphemism for the branch that was actually coordinating the work of the joint liaison group. And I was there during 1989, which, as we all know, was quite an apocalyptic time for Hong Kong. And I'd been working quite closely on aspects of the drafting of the basic law. And, of course, what happened in June 89 did rather set things back a bit. But I was also there when, at the first meeting of the Joint Liaison Group, after those meetings resumed. You may remember that they were suspended for six months or so in the aftermath. So that was a, an amazing experience in all sorts of ways. And then I went on to um, economic services branch, where also there were many aspects, so many aspects of preparing for the transfer of all sorts of legal rights and so on that were previously held by the British sovereign power to transfer them to Hong Kong. And in particular, that involved the transfer of air service rights, you know, the granting of rights to airlines to travel between Hong Kong and other parts of the world, which had previously always been governed by British treaties and had to be separated painstakingly by means of negotiations with the states, the countries concerned. There must have been a wealth of this in the process of changing sovereignty. So many things. I mean, I find it hard to remember all of them, especially legal matters. Imagine so many treaty obligations of all kinds that, that had to be, as it were, disentangled from the British regulations. And of course, side by side with that, it meant that there was a lot of work that had to be done on redrafting of laws. You know, something that had been governed by British law had to be incorporated into Hong Kong law and translated, and, and all of the work that that involved, it was immense. But it kind of developed a sort of pace, a challenge of its own, that really sustained you because you felt that you were doing something positive to pave the way for the smoothest transition we could, and that's, that's what we wanted. The handover, does it feel like 25 years ago? Uh, no, in some ways. <laughs> But again, yes, I, I have to confess, I went and looked at the video of the handover ceremony because some, um, of the lowering of the flag rather, because some of it had become a little bit misty over the passage of time. As I say, I mean, what I remember most about that evening was the wonderful music of that ceremony, the bands, and of course the very emotional moment when, when the flags were lowered. And it was, it was very difficult for anybody to, to keep a dry eye. We were also getting pretty wet, but that, that didn't seem to matter at that particular moment.
My name is David McCurdy. I came to Hong Kong in 1960 as a four-year-old by ship. In 1997, I celebrated the handover at the Peninsula Hotel, uh, which was a lovely evening. Actually, I was there with a lot of my friends and the peninsula has always had a special place in my heart. My mother used to take me there. There was our family doctor was based in, in the peninsula and we would have to go there for our six monthly cholera jabs or if we were going on holiday, we'd need uh, multiple more injections. And of course, for a little boy, that wasn't much fun, but as a compensation, she would take me down to the lobby and uh, buy me a seven up float and a cake so uh, it's always a great joy to go there and, and on that evening it was that sort of juxtaposition of my history and my future all coming together so a very very memorable evening looking forward to a great future at the time and still looking forward to a great future and remembering what a, a lovely childhood I had in Hong Kong. My name is Edmund Fall. In June 1997, I was working with Cable English News in Chunwan, and it was my first TV job, so I was just basically running around helping out with stuff, you know. Obviously, the, all the local TV stations at the time, TVB, ATV, and Cable, Chinese and English, were covering the uh, Hanover ceremony, the Hanover events, around the clock on the night of, the, of June 30th. And a lot of reporters are out there at different locations doing their reporting. I was the one who was inside the newsroom just helping out with, you know, scheduling and organizing stuff, basically, because there were footage coming in from everywhere, and I mean everywhere, you know, Chris Patton, Jiang Jimin, soldiers, ordinary people, events from around town. So there's a lot of footage, and it's obviously, it's all image. I mean, there's... On this particular night, there's nothing to write. It's just showing people the footage, you know, round the clock. It's my first TV job, so I don't, I don't know much about TV news at the time. And uh, but I was looking at how people, other people do it, and so it's just I'm happy to be a part of it. My colleague at RTHK English Language News, Edmund Fong. Hi, I'm Rosalie Carpio and I've been singing and entertaining audiences in Hong Kong for many years. My husband is Maestro Tony Carpio and on the handover in 1997, our band was playing in the Italian restaurant Grassini's in the Grand Hyatt. At around 10 to midnight, we stopped playing and we all watched the handover ceremony on the TV screens that were in every outlet of the hotel. After that, I remember watching the Royal Yacht sailing out of the Hong Kong Harbour. 
It was quite emotional. We were all sad and it was the most poignant moment in time. I'm gonna make a brand new start of it. Noreen Mir, RTHK presenter and mum of three, was a 12-year-old performer in a red and gold dance extravaganza at Tamar. There were hours of practice. Here, she shares with me the fragrance of salt and vinegar crisps and instructions to keep on smiling despite that rain. I was 12 at the time and I st believe it or not, I still remember that night quite vividly. I was in year eight or form two, as I like to call it in, in Hong Kong. I went to South Island School, which is part of the ESF, the English Schools Foundation, and a few of the ESF secondary schools selected a few of the students to be a part of the handover ceremony. If you kind of take your, cast your mind to, I don't think there's an exact name for what it is. You know, one of those like mass performances, those giant billboards, mosaic performances that you see in North Korea. <laughs> it's kind of like that. We were dressed as stock exchange people. So that performance was what's iconic of Hong Kong. And um, I was one of those stock exchange people where we had the red vests and the gold writing. Who were you told to smile at? We were told to smile at Prince Charles and Chris Patton, Governor Patton, should we see him? And of course, we sort of see them passing by, and we were just told to keep waving and keep smiling at them. So that's what we did for, I think, the first 15 minutes of the performance. We'd have a backstage area, and I remember people would say no eating or drinking, but of course, everybody just sort of brings snacks. And I remember salt and vinegar crisps being, that the smell of salt and vinegar crisps was, was a popular snack at that time. <laughs> <laughs> I have such vivid memories of that night, of, of it being so rainy and the whole mood yes. and the whole atmosphere. But the, the whole mood was, was definitely, you just really remember it. It was just so, so sad, but we were so excited and so happy to perform. But I remember thinking, gosh, we're getting drenched. It started off quite slow, the rain, and then it just got heavier and heavier at the time. <laughs> and it just would get into your eyes and you just try and keep the rain out of your eyes, but you couldn't rub your eyes because you were performing. <laughs> One recurring theme has been how everyone got a soaking. So here's the former head of the observatory, Shun Chi Ming, talking to me about the weather that night. At that night, on the uh, evening of uh, 30th June, the rain just came at the wrong moment. <laughs> as as Charles started to, to talk, the rain got uh, heavier. Actually, we had we have the, the, the black rainstorm uh, in the morning on the 1st of July. But uh, during the ceremony, uh, when when Prince Charles uh, presided over, in particular at uh, 7:30 in the evening, the rain just started, and I think that was about uh, 10 millimeters of rain during that 30 minutes, and it just happened. From the weather radar, 
images uh, at that time, uh, we can see the rain actually came from the south of Hong Kong Island and just moved across to on top of Tema. So it was really, really coincident. It really uh, happened at the, at the wrong moment. On the night of the handover, myself and my unit were tasked to conduct crowd management and public order around the Star Ferry in Chim Sa Choi and along the walkway looking towards Hong Kong Island because it was anticipated there would be a high number of people there. And of course, we, we wanted to be there to respond to any requirements. So that's where I was in the lead up to the handover. And we were all aware that basically from midnight, we had new employers who might not really want to see us wearing Royal Hong Kong Police and in my case, crowns on my shoulder. So at about half past 11, before all the excitement started, I went down to my command car, which was parked in the taxi waiting area of the Star Ferry. And I had a new tunic, but with the new badges on. So I had to remove the tunic that I was wearing and kind of go bare chested in public and then put on the new tunic so that at midnight, we would all be appropriately attired and and the press wouldn't be taking photos of these uh, hangovers from the past. Now put your hands together for Boy George! Two days before the handover ceremony, there was a huge party in Kowloon called Unity. It was the brainchild of impresario Andrew Bull. Here, he and legendary DJ and record producer Paul Oakenfold share their memories of that event. The 28th was a Saturday night, and it was obviously you didn't want to clash with the actual, you know, you'd be a fool to go up against Prince Charles and uh, Chris Patton and Jiang Zemin on the same stage. I was actually in Beijing doing a show, and I stumbled out of the sound check, and there was like a sort of Temple Street market at the back door of the nightclub where I was, and uh, I found this bloke selling some really cheesy plastic posters uh, with uh, Deng Xiaoping uh, welcoming uh, the the new Hong Kong uh, reunion. It was a fantastic image, so I thought I could build an event around that image, yeah. When you start to, to do something like that, it, it all happens in rather a world because it, it all came together within uh, like eight weeks or something like that because the impetus to do something was the fact that nobody was doing anything. So I just went mad for a month and a half and did it. And where did you hold it? Uh, well, it used to be called High Tech. It's now called Kai Tech. It's down in Kowloon Bay there. So tell me about the night. Well, it was a phenomenal evening. The venue didn't believe that it was going to be that busy because we told them we'd sold 10,000 tickets. But by midnight, there was nobody there because it was going to be a late one. All these people were ravers. So they let most of the cashiers go home. And then the punters arrived at one o'clock and uh, all the managers had to roll their sleeves up to, to, to take the money. But they were totally unprepared. I mean, they because they were in charge of the bar. We just sold the tickets. They got to keep most of the bar revenue. That was their thing. So they sold a million and a half dollars worth of drinks and then ran out of everything. But everybody had a good time. So I believe it was a miraculous night. I mean, there was a, there was some highs and lows. There was the famous Punch and Judy event when uh, Boy George and Grace Jones had a bit of a punch-up in the DJ booth. 
I think that's great. I mean, I've just seen it. Yeah, well, I've seen an I've seen an image of it, and uh, there's Grace Jones. I mean, she's always fantastically dressed, but there she is in a gold gilt kind of, you know, top, and and um, she's really facing off with Boy George. Well, no, because that was for her third encore. He didn't realize that she had three encores. He thought she was done after the second one. But that outfit you saw her wearing in the photo was like part of her massive third encore, the great Grace Jones coming on stage. But he started DJing thinking she was finished, understandably. I mean, who has three encores? Let's face it. But anyway, a boy George didn't know she had three. So after she did two, he started DJing and he had the crowd going. So she had a panic attack. She was getting ready for her third encore and sent her husband, a, a very nice chap from Turkey called Attila, to argue with Boy George, but he wasn't having any of it. So she actually came up to the booth herself and they ended up having a bit of a scuffle, but he never ended up acquiescing. I remember the show, especially the moments that Grace finished a set and then came back out but no one knew she was coming back out so George put a record on and that was a bit of a palaver. It was miraculously photographed so there's that one picture which floats around the internet of them arguing. Well it was first of all fantastic lineup at that time to put together a collection of artists like that to come to Hong Kong and be part of a, a monumental wonderful evening i thought was amazing i remember a few things i remember having a lovely dinner before with all the artists and getting to know grace i knew george for many years then myself went on and i was playing at the time these records that turned into big classics now actually so uh, it was a great occasion when you think back to that party so when during the night when was your set well, I closed out the show, so it was Grace Jones, Boy George, and myself. What was a big deal was the night, was how wonderful it was, and the occasion for everyone to come together, and it was a celebration of, of, of change, I suppose. Not everyone likes change. I mean, it, it puts you out of your comfort zone, and I sense that. I think that was the biggest moment for me, but it was there, it was, it was part of it, and we left that night with a, I'm sure with the 10,000 people that were in that room having a great wonderful time some memories of the handover my thanks to Shun Chi Ming Howard Lang Edmund Fong, Noreen Meir, Andrew Bull, Paul Oakenfold, Elizabeth Bosser, David McCurdy, Richard Bamping, Rosalie Carpio and Rod Mason. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.